When a developer provisions a cloud server, that server is called an instance. These instances can be used for running whatever workload a developer has, whether it is a web application, a database, or a set of containers. The cloud is cheap to get started on. New applications with few users can often be hosted on infrastructure that costs less than $10 per month. But as an application grows in popularity and in complexity, there is more demand for CPUs and storage. A company will start to buy more and more servers to scale up to the requirements of their growing user base. And the costs of running infrastructure in the cloud will increase. The company will start to look for ways to save money. One common method of saving money is to buy spot instances. A spot instance is an instance that is cheaper than reserved instances or on-demand instances. And the reason that there are different instance types is because a giant cloud provider has a highly variable amount of work that is being demanded from that cloud provider. And it's not necessarily that these are different computers where the spot instances versus the reserved instances versus the on-demand instances are available is different. It's just that at different times, these instances are priced differently. Think about it this way. If you're in charge of AWS, you have to make sure that at any given time, you can give server resources to anyone that asks for it. So your data centers need to have physical machines that are ready to go at any time. And that means that much of the time, you have server resources that are going unused. If you are a cloud provider, how can you get people to use your compute resources? Well, you can make them cheaper. So a user can come along and buy your compute at the discounted spot price. But if you start to make your compute resources cheaper and price them at a spot rate, this presents a problem for you as the cloud provider. Because if you start to give away your compute at cheaper prices, then the overall demand for your cloud resources goes up once again, and you're going to miss out on profits. As the cloud provider, you need to kick people off of your spot instances so that you can take those same instances and then sell them to people at the higher market prices as the market fluctuates. And this presents a problem for the user. If you buy a cheap spot instance, that instance is only available until the cloud provider decides to kick you off. You have a trade-off between cost and availability of your instances. And because of this, spot instances are typically used only for workloads that are not mission-critical workloads that can afford to fail. SpotInst is a company that allows developers to deploy their workloads reliably onto spot instances. SpotInst works by detecting when a spot instance is going to be reclaimed by a cloud provider and rescheduling the workload from that cloud provider onto a new spot instance. Amiram Shakar is today's guest. He's the CEO of SpotInst, and he joins the show to talk about the different types of instances across these cloud providers. He gives us an overview of the engineering behind SpotInst and how the usage of containers and the rise of Kubernetes is changing the business landscape of the cloud. If you listen to the show regularly, please fill out our listener survey. We're gathering feedback, and we want to know how to improve. Go to softwareengineeringdaily.com survey Tell us how to improve. We read all the feedback. We read all the results. And also, I'm looking to figure out what to cover in 2019. Send me an email, jeff at softwareengineeringdaily.com if you have suggestions. 
And I really want to have a cohesive narrative throughout this year and touch on the subjects that people are truly interested in. We're also looking for sponsors for 2019. If you're interested in reaching the 50,000 developers that listen to Software Engineering Daily, check out softwareengineeringdaily.com slash sponsor to learn more. And you can help us out if you send an email to your marketing director, your CMO, or your CEO. These people may not listen to Software Engineering Daily, and they may be surprised that podcast advertising actually can get their message out quite effectively. It's often difficult to convince advertisers to buy podcast ads, and your recommendation can go a long way. This money gets invested heavily back into Software Engineering Daily. We are working on products and ideas and editorial content that will expand what we can deliver to you as the listener. And as always, send me an email, jeff at softwareengineeringdaily.com. If you're ever having a question or criticism or feedback, I want to know. I'd love to hear from you. With that, let's get on with the show. Amaram Shakar, you are the CEO of SpotInst. Welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Yeah, hey, how are you doing? I'm doing great, and I'm looking forward to talking to you about Spot Instances and the different products you've built at SpotInst. So when a developer provisions a cloud server, that server is called an instance. Can you define the term instance? Yeah, so so you're basically right. It's when a developer launches a a server in the cloud called instance. An instance is basically is a virtual machine that the cloud provides you. The cloud's using different virtualization mechanisms, for example, AWS uh, using uh, uh, Zen and Google are using KVM. And basically, when you launch a server, they give you a piece of a virtual piece of that server, of that physical server, that's called instance. And cloud providers offer multiple types of instances. Can you describe some of these different instance types? Sure. As you know, from like, and based on like, uh, as we know, servers from like uh, the 90s and uh, the 2000, uh, the 2000, basically, you have like a bunch of, of hardware that you can build servers with. Uh, you can use hardware, which is uh, more compute oriented or memory oriented or IO intensive. So the cloud providers allows you to basically get different types of servers. So they call it family types. And these family types are actually implying the names are implying on their usage. So Amazon gives you family type of like C3, C4, C5, which is um, compute intensive machines. Each one of them is a different generation. C3, obviously, it's the older one. And then C4 and C5 are the newest one where you, that are using uh, new CPU technology, like better Intel chips or different uh, types of, uh, of faster CPUs. And you can also find types of servers which are memory intensive, like the M3, M4, M5, and also servers with specific reasons that uh, they are out there. For example, like I-series instances, which are I-O intensive, or Z instances, which are more for very heavy compute and memory intensive workloads. So that's what, when you say compute types, or it's basically what is the hardware that you're using. How do the prices vary across these different instance types? It's a very good question. So when you look at, uh, there's a general name that's called general purpose instances uh, that are usually the C families and the M families. 
with our compute intensive and memory intensive. And the prices are basically almost the same. Maybe it's like a penny difference between one instance to another. So for example, let's take M3. That's a, uh, that's a family of instances. And let's take a size from this family, which is can be large or extra large, but let's take a large, for example. So that will cost you about anywhere from 10 to 13 cents. So the M3 will cost you maybe 11 cents and the C4, which is uh, on the same family of general purpose, it will cost you maybe 12 cents. So it's like a very, a very similar. However, when we go to a very specific instance type for IO or a different uh, um, purposes, uh, we can go up to maybe 20, 25 cents for that, the same amount of CPU and RAM that you would pay for general purpose. There is something called a spot instance that we should define. Can you explain what a spot instance is? Spot instance, if you think about cloud providers, they are processing, uh, they have a large amount of compute in their data centers. And all their idle compute, which is the compute that they don't sell, they want to somehow actually do sell it. They want to actually sell it. Uh, so what they do, they provide you with an access to the idle compute that they are not actively selling in a single moment and you can get it on a first come first serve basis and that's what spot is all about you can get access to the idle compute in the cloud provider but you're subject to get kicked off whenever the cloud needs that instance back where does that term spot come from now that's a great question so spot is is a, it's a historical term that people use for loading things to uh, ships or like uh, shipping oil. So whenever that you were filling uh, a big ship with like uh, with a lot of load from like uh, um, a place to another, so always you had like a spare place left on on the truck or a spare place left on the ship. So people would sell this spot for really cheap pricing and like really few minutes before the ship will will leave port. So basically, it's all like. Real time, right now, first come, first serve, uh, just get capacity on demand. And the idea here is that you've got these these instances that are just available right now. They're ephemeral. They are, in some ways, lower in terms of reliability or, or, or quality, or maybe you want to define why their cost is lower. But for all of these different types of servers that you defined, like on the AWS market, you know, you have these C instances and the Z instances and the M instances and all these different types of machines that you can get. For all of these different types, there are spot instances, there are reserved instances, there are on-demand instances, and the spot instances are the cheaper of these each of these classes of machines. Can you explain why there are the there are these different price categories for each of these server types? Absolutely. So as you mentioned, there are three main pricing models when you purchase compute in the cloud. The first one, which is the most common one, call on demand, which basically go, you have like a price list in, in the cloud provider website. And then you know if you provision an M3 large instance, you know that you're going to pay 11 or, or, or 10 cents uh, for the hour, billed by the second or the minute, depends on the cloud that you use. And then it's yours. Like nobody's going to take it from you when you'll shut it down. So you'll, the, the, the charges will stop. 
but it's yours. Server is yours and you have SLA for the server if it goes down. So the cloud provider is uh, liable for that. So that's on-demand. The second one called reserved. Uh, whereas reserve, it's basically when you purchase like bunch amount of compute and you're paying that on-demand price, you would probably can commit for a year or two years or three years in exchange for this commitment that you're going to use this amount of servers, the cloud offers you a discount. So with reserve pricing, you can reserve your amount of capacity that you desire uh, and you can get anywhere from 30 to even 40, 45% discount if you commit to the cloud provider that you're going to use it for the next year or the next three years. And we have the last pricing model, which is getting more popular and popular over time, which is spot. And as we defined spot earlier, so the cloud providers has a lot of capacity. They don't sell all of their capacity at any single moment. That's why they're incentivizing their customers to purchase more capacity in a pricing model called spot, which spot basically, let's say that Amazon have 100 pieces of hardware of the M3 large instances, and they're only selling right now 80 of them. So they have 20 that they can basically sell in a lower price. They can give it to people to bid on them in a lower price. And when what when I say a lower price, I mean like a really lower price. They can get up to 80%, even 90% of the price. So think about it. Instead of paying 10 cents per hour, you'll pay about around two, maybe maybe two cents, three cents uh, for the hour, that, that's significant savings. However, the caveat here is that with spot pricing model, you don't have SLA. So you have access to additional compute. However, Amazon or the cloud that you use can reclaim that server from you at any single moment within a two minutes notice. So that's spot and that's why it's, it's cheaper than on-demand and reserve. The example you gave, let's say Amazon has a hundred different instances of their M3 machines and 80 of them are occupied, so they've got 20 available. It seems like all 20 of these could either be sold as on-demand instances or as spot instances, or maybe they're all scheduled for reserved instances, but they're not being used quite yet. They've got an hour of availability. So are we talking about the same machines here? They're just available under different pricing models, under different conditions? Yes, that's absolutely true. Okay. So obviously, there's some penalty to working with these spot instances because they're so much cheaper. There's no free lunch. What are the difficulties of working with spot instances? So... Obviously, think about it. When you when you buy a server with an on-demand pricing, so you know that you have the server, you can put your data on that server, you can run your application, you know that you can sleep with a peace of mind. And the caveat with Spot is you basically need to realize that you're in a different situation. Like the server can go down at any single moment and you need to be ready for that. So in order to use that penalty to your favor, of the server go down, you need to actually architect your application or make sure that you run specific type of application uh, that can handle that. Otherwise, you'll be in a, in a situation where you pay less, but you are compromising on availability, which usually you're not going to find uh, companies that do that. What are some good applications for these raw spot instances? In a second, we'll get into what you do at SpotInst. 
But if we're just talking about the raw spot instances, how did people, like I think Netflix was probably an, an early example of how spot instances were used. How have spot instances been used in their raw form? So historically, organizations that were super cost sensitive, they were using uh, spot instances for environment called batch or offline job processing, uh, which are things that are not customers facing. Like think about a university that needs to run a, a big computation around like Monte Carlo uh, algorithms, or you want to run some like a DNA sequencing. So these things, it's not like a customer facing or online jobs. For example, when you go to Facebook and you post a, a status or whatever, so you're expecting to get a response back. So that's like online facing. But like when somebody hands over his DNA to a, to a DNA sequencing company and there is like uh, he, he can wait for like three days until he gets an answer. So these are like these offline job processing that people historically were using spot instances for. And they got very popular in this area of, of batch computing. Right. So the reason for that is because if a batch job gets scheduled onto a spot instance, and then the spot instance disappears in the middle of the batch job, well, you can just schedule it onto another spot instance and rerun it. And it's going to take a little bit longer because you wasted some time on a spot instance that disappeared, you know, because the cloud provider needed to reclaim it. But it's not going to affect any users immediately because this is an offline job. That's 100% right. Okay, so you are the CEO of Spotinst. What does Spotinst do? So Spotinst, we have a pretty interesting story that started about four years ago. I was a student for computer science in a university in Israel. And basically, my thesis or I try to, to, to do my thesis around cloud computing and how to optimize resources and kind of like save money in the cloud with some clever algorithms. And when I first read about spot instances, it really got me. And I tried to do my thesis around how can you reliably use spot instances, not only for these batch job processing, but for online user-facing environments and what I try to do is basically, how can you anticipate that as a customer? How can you anticipate when servers will terminate so you can take actions ahead of time and make sure that even that your app cannot tolerate interruptions or cannot tolerate uh, that servers will disappear on it, uh, you'll be able to take actions ahead of time and migrate the, the necessary data or the necessary network and storage configurations from one instance to another so you can basically run some user-facing production applications on spot. And when you first started tinkering around with the spot instance market and you were trying to think of ways to turn these spot instances into more durable compute resources, what did you learn? So I learned that it was pretty interesting to see that there are very constant trends that I was able to learn uh, kind of like very easily at the beginning. And then things got very complicated over time. However, I learned that it's all about demand and capacity. So if you know to look at the, the full cycle of the day and understand in which hour you would like to gain capacity, and if you know what, what, what happened yesterday and what happened a week ago in the same day, you're probably going to be taking way better decisions than you would do if you just like provision 
instances on your own. So if I am using Spotinst, how does my experience compare to managing spot instances myself? Explain what I would do as a Spotinst user. So as a Spotinst user, you will just ask capacity in the same way that you're asking capacity from your cloud provider, for example, Amazon. You would just go and use the Spotinst interface or the Spotinst APIs. And what we'll do, we'll just go to your cloud account, to your AWS account, and ask for these resources. So the experience of getting the spot instances is 100% the same experience. However, the experience of like after you're getting the spot instances is a different experience because as a user, when you do it yourself and you get spot instances, so great, everybody can get a spot instance, but then what's next? What happens if out of 10 instances, you're losing nine or out of 10 instances, you're losing five, and then your application is, is in trouble. While with, with, with Spotins, we provide a software that actually predicts when the next interruption will happen. We're always 24-7 and in real time crossing, also cross-referencing historical data. We're anticipating when instances will disappear. So we're preemptively and proactively launching new capacity and adding it to the application clusters. And then we are actually migrating the data or the configuration that it's needed for uh, by the customer. And in the end of the day, the experience for the customer is like 100 to 50x less interruption rates in terms of like observing interruptions and problems in the applications. And uh, our goal, our mission in the company is that when you run your application through Spotins, you'll just feel that you run it on on on-demand instances. Right. So you're giving people the ability to run these long-lived interactive user-based applications on top of spot instances because you are able to predict when a spot instance is going to disappear. And so when, when you can detect that a spot instance is going to disappear or when it might be about to disappear, because like you said, you don't have this SLA from the cloud provider. The cloud provider can grab it from you at any time. If somebody's willing to pay a higher price than you for that instance, they're going to take it away from you. But you can preemptively schedule another spot instance and put the application onto that instance. And when the cloud provider is ready to take it away from you, you can just route the traffic to that fresh instance that gets spun up. So when you are trying to detect when that's going to happen, when the spot instance is going to be taken away from you, what are some signals that suggest that the instance might disappear? That's a very good question. So basically, our we have an algorithm that runs in the background and always creating a forecast based on historical disappearance of instances. Uh, we're kind of predicting how the uh, the next when the next interruption will happen. So just something which is very important to mention is that when you're using different compute types on AWS, so they're like, it's called uncorrelated markets. And what do I mean by uncorrelated markets? For example, if you purchase M3 medium and M4 medium, that's a different type of hardware. So the fact that Amazon is running out of capacity of, of M3 medium doesn't mean that Amazon is running out of capacity on M4 medium. 
And what our platform does in the background, we're looking at M3 medium and we're looking at the trends of M3 mediums. And we see, hey, this is right now Monday, 8, 8 a.m. in the morning. And usually at 8 a.m., 8, 10 a.m. in the morning, something usually happens in terms of like disappearing of instances. So we're like about 7.15 or even before, we're scheduling new capacity to launch into that cluster and we'll schedule that from an uncorrelated market, from a market that we understand that there will be capacity at this time of the day based on historical data. And then we can safely go through that interruption or eviction of instances during the time that we were sure that it's going to happen. So there is a machine learning in the background that, that always fixes that. Uh, but that's like on the on just uh, on the surface, just to explain what we do behind the scenes. Are you continuing to iterate on those machine learning models, or like how how rapidly is the market changing? Are is, are your models as good as they need to be today? So it's always changing because Amazon is always adding new compute hardware. So you need to learn it just like from scratch. Uh, they're changing uh, capacity. We, we, we see it all the time. Obviously, as a cloud provider, they need to do a lot of reallocation of capacity between data centers within that data center. So it's, it's, a, it's a system that always learns itself uh, and learns from like uh, uh, things that you predicted and didn't really happen. So you always know how to fix it. And we actually have like a, a team of people, data science, that are always looking at the data and doing the, uh, the relevant uh, uh, corrections to that. What do you need to do to shift the workload from one machine to another when that instance is going to disappear? So that's where it depends on the workload type. So to give more context, when you launch an application in the cloud, you would usually either use a single server or you're going to use something called like auto-scaling groups, uh, basically like a horizontal way to scale your servers when you need more capacity in an automated way. And basically then you, you, you can run containers on top of that. You can run a microservice. This microservice can be Java, can be Python, can be Node.js. It really depends on you. And when... We ask customers to provision capacity through us or their clusters through us. We basically want to know what is running on top of it. Is it Java? Is it Node.js? Is it a container? Because all these information is going to help us when we're actually going to deal with the inevitable, which is replace the spot instances, because in every different type of app, we'll take a different type of decisions. For example, if we understand that you have a microservice based on Node.js that it's running behind an uh, Nginx load balancer or running behind a Amazon Elastic load balancer. So we know that we have like a certain steps that we need to make in order to launch a new Node.js app, reroute the traffic to the Node.js app, but we need to make sure to deal with the existing connections, existing HTTP connection, TCP connection, database sessions that were already open on that application server. Uh, so we let the server drain. We realize, hey, whenever the server like ended the draining period, and then we can safely terminate that. Uh, so we really depend on the app. We have many different types of apps that we support. The most common ones are microservices, web applications, containers, and there are several other wars, but that's basically what we do. Are there any consistency issues that can develop when 
you're trying to do this handoff from one spot instance to another. You're trying to shift or copy a service from one instance to another. I can imagine if one request is in the process of going through the instance of that service that's about to get decommissioned and you're about to reroute traffic to another instance, there could be some potential for consistency issues or availability issues. What are some cases that can arise there? Yes, so that's a good point. And usually in traditional web applications, as long as you know to manage the draining time uh, properly, uh, you can be safe. Because usually it's uh, it's a short-lived HTTP connection uh, that are basically, you know, the default timeout might be anywhere from 60 seconds to 120. Uh, so if you give it enough time to all the HTTP connections will close. Uh, and then you can just monitor uh, the server that has, there is like zero HTTP connections that are open. And then you're safe to go and decommission the server. However, in a more long-running applications that are doing like, transcribing of, of, of video or opening like really long sessions uh, with databases and access to memory. This is where you really need to be sophisticated with the training timeout and the way that you replace servers. This is where we like introduce the customers different uh, features that they can use in order to tell us, hey, if you decommission the server here, I need to wait at least one hour or I need to make that three steps of like closing the connections with uh, uh, with predefined scripts, and only when you get an okay from the script, you're good to go. So we, we've seen some pretty complex stuff over the years. So the last thing that I would mention here is that we have one rule of thumb uh, of things that like don't ever use on spot instances, which is a single point of failure. So if you have a single point of failure, might be a single database, a single database or an application that it can run only on a single instance. It cannot be moved to another one uh, at all. So that probably a place where you want to, you would not want to uh, leverage Spot from from the first place. Today you have a lot of customers because obviously this saves people money. There's a lot of volume going through your system, and this is good for you because you have some economies of scale. But it also comes with the challenges of scale. How has managing Spotinst and the Spotinst infrastructure, how has it changed as you've gotten bigger? So I think as, as you define it as the economy of scale, so I think that the more customers we have and the more instances that we manage on behalf of them, the smarter we become, the more accurate we become, the, the more easier it becomes for us to predict stuff. Uh, when we started, we just had like data points from less than, I don't know, 100 or 500 machines. And today we manage over several hundred of thousands of, of machines uh, in any single moment. So we can see what's going on in any single place of the, of the cloud provider. So it helps us to be way more accurate than before. And regarding the, the challenges of scale, so obviously as people want more access to, to Spot, so you need to realize that there, there is a limited amount of, of compute that you can possibly get uh, because you're limited by the cloud provider. However, if you know to distribute and scale it across different compute types and hardware types, uh, this is where you can get the economy of scale uh, because the cloud provider have 
a lot of different machine types and a lot of data centers. And if you know to utilize them correctly, you can both support the scale that people want and also not to exhaust uh, the compute in a single machine type. In the original Spotinst product, you needed to be able to schedule these VMs. You needed to be able to request new spot instance VMs as your customers are requesting more resources. I'd like to know about the process of building that first product and some of the code that you wrote for that first use case. So that's a, that's a very you know exciting question because always when I go back and, and starting to remember like the first day of the company, it's really exciting. So without knowing like how Amazon is working, you know, in terms of like culture and so on. So we, we always had this in mind, which is start with a customer and then work backwards. So we were meeting with, with customers who wanted to leverage Spot and we were asking them, how would you like it to be? What is, what is the experience that you would like it to be? How would you like to provision the, the compute and how would you love to use the service? So we interviewed a lot of customers and... Then eventually, then we worked backward and developed the things that they actually needed and asked for. And we ended up with developing a cluster software that is basically targeted for developers and operations or DevOps people, IT persons, that is basically the same as the cloud APIs for launching a VM. You can just choose, it's very dynamic. You can choose if you want to get one, if you want to get 100, if you want to get a dynamic number of servers, you can start with one and then scale to 100. So that's how it's all started. And the standard was that if you look today about the software that we provide, it's called Elastic Group. So it's very similar to the cloud APIs as people know them today. What programming languages did you use for the first version? We used Node.js and Java. And where does the code for Spotinst itself run? Does it do you run in a cloud provider? Yeah, absolutely. So we leverage mostly AWS. We run our code, our software on AWS. We leverage multiple regions for high availability, but ninety percent of our stuff is running on Amazon. It's interesting to talk to companies like yourself who have built a cloud provider on top of another cloud provider. Like I just did a show with Guillermo from Zeit, and that's another cloud provider built on cloud providers. What are some of the fundamental difficulties of building, I guess you would call it second layer cloud provider? Yeah, the, the customers who are using the cloud, they already get like an excellent service. They get amazing SLA. They already get like uh, a very good, they already have like a really high expectations from you because your competitors or like your alternative are uh, the cloud providers. So building a layer of cloud providers on top of cloud providers, customers have like a really, really high expectations and, and they're very demanding. So that was, that I can tell that it's, it's a challenge for sure. It cannot be like, not good as them because people are not going to use you. And the second thing is that the cloud providers are just acting like startups and they're moving as fast as startups. So keeping up with their feature sets, keeping up with their offering and also run your own business, that's also very challenging. 
you started the business in 2015, and since then the world has moved more towards thinking about containers rather than VMs. How has the shift to containers changed your product strategy? So you, you are correct. Basically, when we first started the company, so it mostly were VMs and applications on top of VMs in a very traditional way. And then just because we're working with so many customers and talking to so many customers every week, we just started to hear the word containers and containers again and again. And we also heard about Kubernetes, people starting to leverage Kubernetes, thinking about Kubernetes. And at the beginning, you're not sure if like these signals that you're hearing from the market, they're real or just another tool that people will just like, it's another hype or something like that. But then when we're looking at our statistics, so we're actually looking about the workload types that we're managing. Uh, for example, we want to know in any single moment how many web applications versus containers versus like Node.js, Python, Java stuff we're, we're managing so we can get like better decisions on our product roadmap. And then we saw like, since 2017, we saw like a sharp increase in people asking for containers are actually starting to use containers in production. And that had a lot to do with our roadmap because then we saw that containers, when you run containers on top of VMs, so it introduces another level of complexity that we, we realized that we need to solve even bigger problems right now as people are, are using containers. So what, how did that shift what you had to build? So like, let's, let's take an example. If somebody schedules a bunch of containers on top of a VM that they've requested from Spotinst, was there any inherent difficulty in that? Or did your platform continue to work when people were started breaking up these VMs into containers? So, so think about it. When, when we... We used to manage uh, traditional applications like an application that actually runs on the VM. So it's they are coupled. So you know whenever the application needs more capacity or like is like CPU is going up, so you can just provision another VM. Uh, it's very logic. And with containers, what happened is that right now you have two layers. You have the layers of VMs, and then you have another layer which is the containers, and then the apps are running on top of the containers. So like there is another level of abstraction from the VM to the app, which is the containers in the middle. So whenever customers want to run one container on a single instance, uh, that, that's easy. But when they run one, as you mentioned, to schedule more containers on, on two VMs, then it becomes tricky because there are many ways how to do that. And when you're requesting additional one container, additional 10 containers, like the, the infrastructure, the service provider needs to respond differently. So we've seen customers like telling us, hey, guys, like we're trying to schedule these containers and we're getting these errors. Uh, what can you do for us? And then we realized that there is like a really complex mathematic issue, uh, which think about an example. You run two servers. Two of them are like medium servers and they, each one of them can run two containers in a, in a specific size. And then the customers needs 10 containers or 20 containers, additional 20 containers. So you need to have like a very smart system in the background that not only introduces new compute whenever you need more containers, but actually looking at the containers, understanding what are the requirements of the containers because they can be very dynamic. You can request a container with a single gig of RAM or 10 gig of RAM. It's really dynamic. It's according to the developer that asking for the, the container. So 
we started to build a layer on top of our software that basically listens and understands what are the containers needs. And according to that, introduces the capacity that these containers need. Right. And so is, is it also an issue where, let's say, somebody provisions a VM and they run, let's say, service A and service B on that VM, and then service A is getting hammered and hammered and hammered with traffic, and so they need to, to scale up the container of service A, but they don't really need to scale up the container of service B, but the way that SpotInst was originally architected, I'm imagining that the, the scalability would be, okay, let's, let's spin up an entire new VM with both service A and service B, and you don't actually need additional instances of service B, the container in service B, but you're going to get it anyway if, you're, if your system is built in terms of VMs. Correct. That, that's, like, that's, a, that's a big problem that, that, were happening, that was happening at, at the beginning. And even further than this, I think about it when you had service A, which um, service A is requesting 2 gig of RAM and 2 vCPUs, and then something changes on service A, and service A right now is asking for 6 gig of RAM and 4 vCPUs per container, and then, like the traditional way of, of deploying machines is that, okay, I need a medium, and if I want to horizontally scale, I'll get more 10 mediums or 100 mediums. But then you'll, you'll get another medium or another 10 mediums, but the new service A size not going to fit this new medium. So there's like, like there is an alignment between like, like the container size that you need and the VM that you're getting. So these two problems were like, like the main problems that we saw and we, we, we said, okay, we, we need to solve that. You eventually built a product called Ocean, and this is a platform on top of SpotInst for deploying containers specifically. Explain what Ocean is. Yeah, so Ocean is, is, is first of all, our recent product, which we launched about a few weeks ago. And Ocean is, based on what I've just said, is Ocean is that the technology that we realize that we have to build when people are leveraging containers on top of VMs because we've listened to the market and we've we saw two main signals like one people want to get, we want to unlock compute for reasonable price and that's what we we were solving like from day one and the second is that people want like a more hands-free and we call it serverless way of managing their apps. So they want to deal less with compute and they want to deal more with their applications. Um, about a year ago or maybe eight, 18 months ago, I think that the world's the word serverless started to resonate a lot with people. Like Amazon was pushing a new product uh, four years ago called uh, Lambda and people started to understand what are the benefits of running applications in a serverless way. And a serverless way means that you provision your app, and then that's it. You don't need to manage the compute. You don't need to scale that compute. You're paying only when you use this compute, and whenever you don't use it, you don't pay. Uh, so it's like it's a utility billing. It scales horizontally if this service is being hammered, so you'll, you'll get more copies of compute, and it scales down to zero when you don't use it. So we saw these two signals, so like people want to manage things in a serverless way, and people wants to get 
like a better compute um, offering and pricing. And when we looked at, at Ocean, at the technology, it's doing exactly these two things, but for containers. So Ocean is basically introducing a interface to developers or DevOps that they can launch and provision their containers through their preferred scheduling systems. It can be Kubernetes, it can be Amazon ECS, very soon going to be supporting Docker Swarm or, or HashiCorp Nomad, any scheduling platform for containers that you wish. And then once this container is scheduled, the compute is basically abstracted away from you. It will scale, it will scale down to zero, it will scale to whatever copies of, of, of compute that you need. Automatically, you don't have to do anything. You don't need to manage the VMs in terms of like security patches or OS patches. Uh, it all already done in the background by by Ocean, and basically gives the developers serverless way to manage their containers and also very very reasonable pricing of compute that they can unlock as they scale. The experience of deploying a container on your product Ocean. It seems quite similar to deploying a container on an AWS Fargate or Azure container instance. These are these long-lived container instances, the serverless containers. How do the containers that you're spinning up for people on Ocean compare to these container instances that the cloud providers offer? So I think we're hitting a spot where we basically offer the, the same service like, like Azure Container Instances, the ACI or, or Firegate. <clears throat> and it's just a matter of like how efficient we are in acquiring the underlying compute. And our goal is to be way more efficient than any other provider in acquiring the compute underneath of the container. Right. Now, I find these container instances so interesting and so useful because I've been a longtime user of Heroku, and Heroku is, as far as I know, just giving you a container. It's been giving people containers for a very long time, since before containers were trendy, and they're called dynos on Heroku, and Heroku's made a great business out of selling dynos to people because that's all you need often. You know, many people who are hobbyist developers or even at a large company and they wanted to use Heroku, they can spin up their entire application. It's just some monolithic application that just runs in a long-lived container, and and that's great. That's what a lot of people need. So that's what AWS and, and Azure have been offering with this Fargate and Container Instances products, respectively. And I was talking to you about this when we were at KubeCon, but it surprises me that there's not more excitement around the idea of these low-cost cloud provider container instances where you can just spin up your monolith in a standalone container. People seem more excited about the idea of managing a Kubernetes cluster when, in fact, like, why would you want to be a cluster operator? You could just be a, an operator of your application abstraction. Why is that? Why do people want to manage their Kubernetes when they could just manage their application in terms of these container instances? You know, Jeffrey, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I think that you, you're absolutely right in terms of uh, 
also it's great to see how what Heroku did, like becoming so trendy now. And also if you go like even 10 years back and look at Google App Engine, which is basically the right. very same thing, but just people That's true. weren't ready for that yet. So, and I think this is like the strength of AWS, which they are, they're actually meeting the market whenever the market needs that. So they will not introduce like, you know, some spaceship when you, you just need like a regular car. And, and I think that that's a big thing for, for Amazon. And, and right now it's becoming popular because people like did that, you know, runway of like, hey, we're we knowing what is container. Okay, we're sick and tired to, to manage Kubernetes. So we want like EKS now. We want like manage control plane of the master. And I think that people are still not yet that excited about the container instances and these serverless containers because right now a lot of people are in the um, exploration mode. So they want a lot of control. So they want to deploy. They want to see what happened. And I think that the, we're going to see it pretty pretty soon how the excitement is going to sharply increase around this. Uh, we're already seeing it from our customers when, when we pitch them and tell them this is what Ocean does. I see the aha, you know, moment. I see like how people like their eyes are shining. They're saying, oh, are you serious? Can you really deliver that? If, if yes, that's, that's like the holy grail. Uh, we, we just deploy containers and then the infrastructure just self-manages itself. And I think we're hitting that sweet spot right now. So what's the contrast between the experience of somebody who distributes their microservices application across a self-managed Kubernetes cluster versus distributing their microservices across container instances, whether their container instances are on Fargate or on ACI or on Spotinst Ocean. Is there something you get out of distributing it across a Kubernetes cluster you're managing yourself? Of course. It's, it's, it's just like a, a really something very manual versus something so automatic. So if you think about it, if you run your containers on an, on a static infrastructure, so you're probably paying anywhere from like 30 to 40% more on the, the underlying compute because it's going to be static. Maybe it will scale up and down from time to time, but it will not fit itself to the actual application need. You know, that's the, that's the easiest part. And the worst part is that your application will suffer from performance issues. You'll have to use different tools and, and application performance monitoring to, to realize that you have a problem and then fix it yourself. Whereas with, with type of like container instances, serverless container, that the container says, okay, I just need more compute because somebody is watching the, the metrics of the containers, the containers increases itself, and then a new infrastructure just pops out with like a better compute, better, better memory, and then like things just run faster and better. And that's one thing. And the second thing is operational agility. Think about how much you'll need to patch your instances, deal with security stuff, provision it yourself, take care of your operation system, maintenance, and so on. Uh, whereas with container instances, you're, you're really doing less in, in operations um, stuff. I want to zoom out. And I, I've talked to so many different companies about, I feel like, in the past, which is this vision of having a cloud provider that sits across all the different cloud providers and is able to arbitrage between the different cloud providers to offer the lowest cost 
for any given moment. For example, maybe if you if you want to spin up a, a container, you just want to spin up an application container, your ideal pricing would take into account whatever the price of AWS instances are, whatever the price of Azure instances are, whatever the price of, I don't know, DigitalOcean instances are. It seems like SpotInst could potentially do that. Now, I know that a lot of people have, have, have tried to do this in the past, and it hasn't really worked, this arbitrage model, for one reason or another. But is that something that you can do, arbitrage between these different cloud providers and, and seamlessly move workloads between cloud providers? It's a question that I'm dealing with a lot because when people are looking at our business and seeing the fact that we support multiple clouds, so arbitrage is the first thing that, that pops in everybody's mind. And to be honest, if you see the, the, the way that cloud providers are operating, they are trying to make sure that your application is so deeply coupled with the cloud toolings and, and services and managed services that it will be super hard for you to take an application and just run it somewhere else. And, and reInvent was like a really good, you know, proof for that. Where when you, when you saw like all the different tools and services that Amazon is offering, it's just like making application so deeply and tightly coupled with, with, with Amazon. So it will be almost like impossible to take an application and run it somewhere else. Unless you're so advanced and all of your stuff and services are cloud native and you're running Kubernetes and Prometheus for monitoring and, you know, all different cloud native um, um, open source projects that are installed in your infrastructure. And then it becomes like super easy. Okay. It's either you're getting oil from AWS's computer or getting oil on, on a different cloud provider. But I think that Amazon is doing a really good job on, you know, looking at a future and making sure the services are tightly coupled with their compute and, 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 and infrastructure. So I see our job moving forward is just meeting the customers wherever they are. So if you're using Amazon in a very tightly coupled, we'll meet you there. If not, we can help you even further. If we're using Google in a certain way, we'll meet you there and we'll help you that way. So that we'll, and, and that's how we see the market. That's how we see the market moving. And I think we need to align ourselves to that. Out of curiosity, what are those very tight couplings that AWS introduces? So, you know, things like um, Azure Container Instances, like it, it's a really good example. But think about like queuing as a service and databases as a service. I think that at reInvent, you saw that like Amazon is aiming really, really big on on becoming like the one-stop shop database um, cloud vendor. Uh, so they have all these um, MariaDB, Postgres, SQL, and MySQL managed by Amazon. And then they also give you uh, no SQL databases, graph databases. And once your data is already in, in the cloud, in the managed cloud service, it's really hard to go backwards, really, really hard to go back, as well as shipping your messaging bus across services. If you use like a managed service like SNS, SES, SQS uh, for, that, for that, it's it's becoming almost impossible to, to, to go out. I understand that with the queuing services, because the APIs for the queuing services are very Amazon specific, but even but if you're writing to a managed database by Amazon, isn't aren't the APIs the same from one database provider to another? It's just Postgres or 
that's true, but, but data has a lot of gravity. You know, it's like migrating right now, like X amount of, of gigs of, of, of data or terabyte of data is not as easy and it can take time and it's... It's scary. It's scary. Yeah, that's the right word. Yeah. Well, um, as we begin to wrap up, what are the other opportunities that you're looking at? What's in the future for SpotInst? So future for SpotInst is, we, we look at this in like two ways. We look at like east and west and north and south. What do I mean by that? So east and west is support as much as we can across different cloud providers, like um, from Amazon to Google to Azure to IBM, maybe in the future Oracle. So we want to meet customers as they are meeting with more cloud providers and provide our software to the personas that we're already selling them today. And the second thing is north and south, which is, it's also something which is increasingly uh, getting more popular is cloud and on-prem. So we see a lot of people that are using AWS and using on-prem. And especially with containers, especially with Kubernetes, uh, we see people that have Kubernetes on-premise and they're bursting to the cloud or have Kubernetes on-prem and Kubernetes on in the cloud, and they just need a better way to manage like the ratio between what they're managing on on-prem and what they're managing on in the cloud. So we're investing in these areas a lot. So that's like one thing for us. And the other thing is, how do we become the perfect automation platform for, for DevOps? So very soon, we're going to be introducing um, uh, services like uh, in the areas of CI and CD, uh, today, we're managing the infrastructure, managing the containers, but we want to take like even one step back in the chain and, okay, people need better continuous deployment, better continuous integrations. There are so many tools out there, and we just want to help people with standardizations. So I think that's what's next for us, and it's very exciting times. Very cool. Well, Amaram, it's been great talking to you. I, I enjoyed our conversation at KubeCon, and I think you're in a really interesting spot. And you've clearly got a lot of traction. And I'll be curious to see what else you build in the future. Absolutely, Jeff. Yeah, it's it's great to be here and also great conversation. So thank you for having me. And we'll definitely stay in close touch. Wow.